Well, hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we're seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland. And I'm Nick. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a a multi-episode series uh, looking at uh, questions that we've fielded from our website and from our Instagram account that you guys have sent in. And it's it's they, the questions concern the book of Revelation, matters concerning the book of Revelation, things like the in like the Antichrist or the Mark of the Beast. Uh, what do we do with Revelation in general? And I know that when we talk about uh, eschatology, as it's called, which means just the study of last things or end times is how we oftentimes uh, refer to it. This is a topic that brings up a lot of uh, fear, mm-hmm. some anxiety, some confusion. So I was with a group of people last week, and I just asked uh, just a word association question. What comes to mind when you think about the book of Revelation? And those were the first three things that were said. It wasn't until like the fifth person that spoke that said something like hope yeah, or something that was positive, we might yep. say. And so what we want to do is we're going to look at answering some of these questions. But this first episode, we just want to ask this simple question. Uh, why should we care or why should we study yeah. eschatology or study what we call end times things? And so, uh, Nick, help us make sense of that question and give us some of the big answers, to the, the big the big whys we care about this. You know, I think the first thing that we need to acknowledge is God thought it was worth telling us. Right. And so if, if there are, you know, I think a lot of people react negatively to the study of end times because they've seen a kind of obsession about details that leads to silliness. Right. Where people are making predictions and uh, they're trying to put dates and timelines and charts together. And so they're obviously turned off by that. Uh, people have also seen um, people try to apply end times teaching to current political events in a way that really gets nasty. And it looks like they're abusing uh, the Bible to try to make their own political point. Right. And so I think there's a, a, a turnoff there that people want to avoid eschatology what they've seen as some of the abuses and so you can swing to this other extreme where you kind of dismiss it and and it becomes this untouchable part of our bibles but the reality is the first thing i'm going to say is if god's word matters i mean if you if you actually trust the wisdom of god if he thought it was worth telling us then that inherently makes it important for us to care about and it might be worth saying that i think we typically think okay uh, eschatology end time stuff that's revelation right it's 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 cornered there, but what what I think we need to see is the 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 ideas that Revelation is picking up on are all over our Bible, and so making sense of a lot of God's word, to your point, is is important in understanding what how we fit those pieces together. And so, to make sense of a lot of the Bible, we've got to understand and orient ourselves uh, to this eschatological understanding. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, you know, even when when you think about that, I mean, this idea of the last days. Uh, is rooted all the way back in Genesis. And so in Genesis 49, uh, when Jacob is blessing his sons, uh, he says this, I'm going to tell you, gather around me so I can tell you what's going to happen in the last days. Mm -hmm. So there is this sense that what began in Genesis 1-1 in the beginning is a story that's going to come to a conclusion. And I think that's what this prophecy of Jacob in Genesis 49 is pointing to is this story has a goal. God is telling a story that has a conclusion and that conclusion matters. And so just to kind of shape a little bit, some of the reasons that studying uh, eschatology matters. Um, the first thing I would say is because we need to know what matters to the heart of God and what is of value. And so when we study eschatology, 
study what God's going to do with the world, the things that he preserves, the things that he redeems tells us what's important to God. So one of the things that we see when we look at the, let's do go to Revelation. When you look at Revelation 20 and 22, what do we find? What is the picture of God's redeemed world in Revelation 21, 20 to 20, or 21 and 22? Garland, tell us about it. Just describe it to us. What we, we see is the, the story that the Bible's been telling of God wanting to unite heaven and earth and dwell with his people. Uh, God wanting to bring his blessing to the world, to all the nations in the world. We finally see that picture coming to fruition in the end of our Bible. And we've talked about this before. We talked about the uh, what is heaven going to be like. Mm-hmm. In uh, I think we get this, this picture of floating away from the earth, but instead what we see is in the in the end of Revelation is God culminating that story with him coming to the earth, him yeah. uniting uh, heaven and earth together. And so this really beautiful picture that I think is highlighting that God is faithful mm-hmm. all throughout this story. He's faithful to answer his promises. He's faithful to make them come to pass. Yeah. And what's what's exciting about that image is it tells us something about the heart of God. And so what we find in Revelation 21 is it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So that's important. It's not, I saw a new heaven and I saw all the people of God in heaven. Right. What you see is a new earth and the people of God on a city on earth. So that tells us something about the story we're living in and and it really should shape the way we think about our destiny. And it is not an escape from earth. The whole world's going to burn. So let's get out of here and go to heaven. Um, The story is no, God's actually going to restore the earth. And, and so we are a people made to live on this planet, which tells us this world matters and cities matter. And so really quickly, we can, we can approach this kind of view of spirituality that says the only thing that matters are immaterial things, right? Souls and, and things like that. And so we're, we, we have this kind of unearthly, getting saved, yeah, getting yeah. saved and getting out of this place. And if the church is to reflect the heart of God, yes, we care about souls. We care about people getting saved and apparently the world matters to God, apparently earth and cities and and everyday things matter to God. So when we reflect God's heart, those things should matter. Um, Another thing that I think studying eschatology does is give us a profound sense of hope. And so, uh, in our, in our clarity series, we we're working through first Thessalonians and in first Thessalonians four, um, Paul is speaking to a group of people who are apparently grieving lost loved ones. And they're in pain. And so Paul has something to say. Garland, would you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18? Yeah, this is NIV. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So this... In, a, in the face of grief, in the face of sorrow over lost loved ones, Paul's answer is to teach eschatology. Mm-hmm. Paul's answer is to teach what's going to happen at the end. And it's really crucial to notice at the end of this paragraph, we get one command. Encourage each other with these words. So the idea here is, is in, the, in the face of death, 
there is supposed to be this basic fundamental truth of our life that God is going to bring our loved ones back to life in resurrected bodies, and we are going to join them. And that is, that is the source of our hope in the face of grief. And so one of the biggest ideas, and, and this applies to the individual lost loved ones, but it also applies to the brokenness of the, this world, that we are to be a people filled with hope that the death and destruction of this world is not the end of the story. And so we study eschatology for hope. We, we study eschatology to dream. Um, you know, I know when um, we're we're going to be doing a remodel and we're going to be tearing down some stuff in our kitchen. And you know, there's going to be some seasons where it's going to look destroyed for a little while, but we also have a picture of what we want it to look like afterwards. And so when things are going to be discouraging, when the process is hard, messy, messy, we're going to go back and look at that picture of the end goal and go, that's what we're going to have. And that's motivating to endure the difficulty of the remodel. Similarly, and I know that's a very trite example in light of the bigness of what we're talking about here, but this picture of what God is going to do is meant to motivate faithfulness when things are messy and hard. Eschatology, images of what God's going to do, are almost, to my knowledge, they are always given to people going through something hard. Mm -hmm. Like that seems to be God's purpose in telling us of what he's going to do in the future is to comfort and encourage faithfulness to people who are going through something difficult right now. And we might we might even say that that hope is a, it's not just some sort of mental concept, some sort of, okay, that picture is nice. That hope inspires radical faithfulness, as you said, in our day-to-day living. If you look at the next chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he ends, uh, verses 1 to 11, he continues this conversation. He ends it with the very same command, encourage one another and build each other up. But the the middle of that paragraph, that very next paragraph, is all about living in the light, living yeah. as people who have a radical obedience and loyalty to Jesus because our king has won, and we already know that. He's given us the end of the story, and so that should motivate uh, a kind of living now that is radically different than those who have no hope. And maybe the, the assessment question for uh, any Christian would be, in light of our eschatological vision, mm-hmm. do we look drastically different than those who don't have this hope? Yeah. Or it might be exposing, we're putting our hope in the very same things that people that don't have this story are putting their hope in, politics or retirement or money or my kid's mm-hmm. success or whatever it may be. It reveals our hope. And I think for Paul and for those that are understanding their Bibles, we, we see this hope. We've already seen it. And so it should, it should spur us in our day-to-day life to live it. And you think about like in, in everyday situations, one of the best ways to destroy good behavior is for people to learn it doesn't matter. Yeah. When a child recognizes if I obey or disobey, it doesn't make any difference. When somebody's trying to work hard in their job and they see that their hard work goes ignored and the person who's lazy and cheats gets promoted, it's incredibly, you know, it just destroys motivation. And so this idea that God is going to set the world right, that, um, that, 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 that he's going to take the good things of this world and restore them, and that the wasted things are going to kind of disappear, that is incredibly motivating for the way we live. It, it gives a motivation to live the way we ought. Uh, the final thing I'll say is this. There's this phrase that has been really important for me um, in my thinking, and it comes from Revelation eleven fifteen, and an angel blows a trumpet, and there are loud voices in heaven which say, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The idea, and this is an idea that gets taught throughout the Bible, is that there are kingdoms of this world, and then there is the kingdom of God. 
And one way to think of the story of the whole Bible is how do the kingdoms of the world, the rule of mankind on earth that is not in submission to God, how do those kingdoms become the kingdom of our Lord? And that speaks to a really profound question that everyone deals with of how do I understand my interaction with culture and society? When should I compromise and go with culture? When should I resist culture? When should I war against it? When should I be at peace with it? All those questions, these are kingdom questions. And eschatology teaches us how God's kingdom comes to earth. And that is really important when we look at that for understanding how we interact with the kingdoms of this world. And I think that is a, a, a central question for every believer's everyday life. So in short, we live with a different king, and our end times understanding, reading books like the Revelation, help us to see that, yep. and then orient our lives appropriately to that. Uh, well, we're going to be diving into some of the questions that y'all sent in, and there's some fun ones. And so uh, this is the first of our, this series, and so uh, be ready to join us on upcoming episodes, and thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity.